Tonight is our celebration of Easter. Uh, before we get into that, we're so used to thinking about Easter Sunday being Sunday morning because that's when Christ rose was in the morning. But if you'll look in Luke chapter 24 at the, at the, the very last resurrection appearance that Luke shares, his disciples were gathered in the evening together the first time they all saw him together. And so I think that that in it, it is somewhat, I, I just think that's cool for us because we do meet at night and, um, and it is a little different, but uh, Jesus is Jesus at night just like he is in the morning. So anyway, uh, just be thinking about that. As we celebrate tonight, I'm going to ask you, we're going to do things just a little different. I'm going to start off uh, with an introduction here and I'm going to ask you to use your imagination I'm going to ask you to put yourself as much as you can in the place, uh, in, in the place, in, in the time and place that Jesus lived. I want you to experience as as closely as you can what they experienced as they saw the things that happened through the week, and and I'm going to ask you to really, really try and put yourself in the midst of it. Try to feel the emotion. Try to understand what they would have been thinking and what they would have been dealing with as they dealt with this. And as we begin tonight, uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of go through a flow. We're going to go through the week that Jesus spent, um, and, and we're going to start in the upper room. You know, Jesus, as he came into Jerusalem, he was welcomed by people cheering and, and laying palm branches down and, and screaming out Hosanna and, and just celebrating that he is coming into Jerusalem. And he taught, uh, and, and he he really confronted the Jewish leaders of the day and, and really threw it in their face um, that their traditions and, and their, their law, while they thought that that was it, that that was the only way, he brought to light that there was something new coming and that there was something different. And he was calling them to submit to it, to turn from what they knew to his new truth or to this truth that really all of those things pointed to, but they were looking to it for their righteousness. And and, and so as he, as he began to teach, ultimately he began to, uh, you know, as he, as he confronted their, their teachings, he began to make some enemies, and, and they really began to look intently upon getting rid of him and, and, and moving him out of, the, out of the spotlight. But the problem they dealt with was that the people loved him. The people saw him as a prophet, as a miracle worker. He truly was a man of God in their eyes. And, and as they looked at him, and, and as these leaders dealt with this, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to get rid of him. And so they began to scheme and began to plan to kill him. As he sat that night in the upper room with his disciples, Jesus knew this was coming. He knew what it was all about, and he knew that it was time. And as he began to describe the things in that room, I just want you to imagine. I want you to imagine what it was like to sit in that room. I want you to imagine what it was like to sit and see the candlelight flickering, or lamplight possibly flickering in the room. I want you to see the, the Passover meal that was spread out on the table. I want you to imagine the smells. And to hear the words, think of the words that he spoke while they were in that upper room. First, he talks about, he, he talks about the fact that someone in the group is going to deny him. Or not deny him, but betray him. And suddenly there's a little dispute between the disciples about who it's going to be. It's not going to be me. Well, it couldn't be me. Who's it going to be? And they all turn, and, and, and they're disputing this. And he begins to talk about Peter, and Peter, of all people, is going to deny him. Not Peter. Peter, you, you can't be speaking about the Peter that we know. 
He's confessed that you're the Son of God. There's no way he would deny you. Even Peter himself says, there's no way I would do this. Not Peter. I want you to imagine what it was like to sit and listen to him speak about what was coming because he told them there that he was to be crucified, but they didn't get it. And then he did something that blew their minds. He wrapped a towel around his waist and he knelt. And one at a time, he began to wash their feet. Imagine if Jesus knelt before you. Jesus knelt before you. Removed your sandals and began to wash your feet. Imagine it. And in that moment, he also did something else. He instituted a practice that we still remember today. We consider some religions, some denominations would consider it a sacrament, very, something very special and spiritual. Others, others view it as an ordinance, something that it is still very special, but it's more of just only a remembrance. We call it the Lord's Supper or communion. And ultimately, that's where we're going to start our night. And whether you're, you would consider this a place that you would call your church home or you're a, a visitor, a regular attender, I, it doesn't matter to me. If you're a believer, this is for you. And so in this time, I would ask you to just prepare your hearts. Confess your sin before God. Everybody in this room has them. I've, I confess plenty. And you guys should know that already. But we all have them. We all need to confess them. And then as the band plays, whenever you're ready, come and take the elements. He said these words to his, believers, or to his followers that night, to his disciples that night. Matthew 26, through 28, 26, verses 26 through 28 says this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that in this time tonight, that you would be honored. I pray that if there's something that each of us is coming to this place with, whether it's something we desire to, to, to get out of it, I, I pray that if there's something that's distracting us from this time, I pray that you would remove all of that and put first and foremost in our hearts a desire to worship and adore and honor and glorify you. That's why we're here. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us in that. I pray that you would point out the sins of our life. Help us to deal with them. I pray that as we take of the elements, that you would remind us the price we were paid, or that was paid for us. And so all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for all you've done, for this time, for this day of remembrance. Father, I pray that today wouldn't be the end of our celebration of Easter. I pray that through this, God, we'll be reminded that we will be uh, 
encouraged, and that tomorrow morning when we wake up, that we'll go into the world and we will celebrate Easter again, and that we'll celebrate it the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that, until you come back. Father, I just pray that you would just use this time in each of our hearts as you, as you see fit, as you know, God, each, where, where each of us need the work. You know that place, and I pray that you would do it. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now remember, this is a trip for each and every one of us. I want you to imagine getting up from that dinner, that supper, that celebration of Passover, and walking out of that room, and walking into a garden, being told by Jesus to stay here, as he and three others go on. I want you to imagine that in the middle of the night you're awoken by people screaming and shouting. They've come to get Jesus. And there's the betrayer. Walks up to him and kisses him on the cheek. What would you be thinking? I want you to imagine what it was like to see him arrested and hauled away. I want you to imagine what it was like to stand there the next day thinking about how he had come into the city being hailed as a king and now they're screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. What's going through your mind? I want you to imagine what it was like to see, to, to see Jesus standing there. As people said things about him, mocked him, spit on him, beat him. I want you to imagine what it was like to see Jesus with a, thorn, a crown of thorns placed and pressed upon his head, drawing blood. I want you to imagine the Roman soldier standing there and giving him 39 lashes and his body being beaten and the skin of his back being ripped to shreds. I want you to imagine what you would be thinking. I want you to think and feel what they were feeling. Imagine what it was to follow this man for three years, to know that he was the hope of Israel, the hope of Jerusalem. And now, all that you'd been hoping in, and all that you'd been expecting, and all that you were planning on, seemed to be falling apart. Imagine it. Feel it. Carry the weight of it for just a moment. I want you to imagine what it looked like as they strung that cross to his back and he carried it through the streets on the way to Golgotha. So so beaten, so bloody, so weak by this point that he can't even carry it and they have to call somebody from along along the way to carry it for him. I want you to imagine your emotions at this point. What are you feeling? I want you to imagine as you get to this place of the skull, they lay him down on his beaten, bloody back. 
And they begin to nail him to this cross. You see, I want you to imagine, and and maybe you're saying, Seth, no, this is too graphic. You don't need to go this far, but you and I need to imagine. We are separated over 2,000 years from this event, and we don't realize the price of our sin. We don't understand the cost that God had to pay. Imagine. You see, Jesus at any point could have stood up and worked a miracle. Why didn't he work a miracle? He could have proven beforehand. Why did it take the rocks splitting and the earthquake? Why did it take a Roman centurion standing after all was finished? Why did it take a Roman centurion saying, surely this was the Son of God? He could have at any moment spoken. He could have worked the miracle. He could have demonstrated his truth. In action and in word, surely it worked. Over and over, he had escaped them before. Over and over, he had confronted their tradition with his truth, and they could never answer him. Why wouldn't he speak? Why wouldn't he say something? But no, he doesn't speak. He lays there quietly, not fighting. While these two criminals on either side are likely screaming, because of the agony that they're enduring. I want you to imagine what it was like to know Jesus personally and to see Him there. And to see Him at this point. I want you to imagine as they raise that cross up and they drop it into that hole, Him hanging there. We need to understand this price. We need to understand what it cost. You see, it wasn't the Roman soldiers that simply put him on the cross. And it wasn't the Jews and the Jewish leaders who manipulated the crowd into crying out for him to be crucified that put him on the cross. He had to be on that cross. He was on that cross for you and for me. He was on that cross hanging there for all the sins that would be redeemed and forgiven before he lived and all the sins that that would be redeemed as he hung there and all the sins that would be redeemed and forgiven today and until the time he comes back. He could have stopped it at any time. He didn't deserve to be there. Anyone who knew Jesus, anyone who had followed him knew he didn't deserve to be there. Seeing him hanging next to two men who had done something, at least... At least there was a sense that as those two men hung there, justice was being served. But not with Jesus. And so as those Roman soldiers struck those nails, it just rang that much louder. Wham! 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 Every time, it might as well have been my hand and yours swinging that hammer. Do you see it? Can you imagine the emotion 
Imagine standing there, John, the disciple who Jesus loved, standing there next to his mother. Woman, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. Imagine what they were feeling and what they were, what they were dealing with. And then it goes dark. And you hear Jesus say, it is finished. And he hangs his head and dies. All your hopes and dreams seem seemingly dying with him. Imagine going home for Sabbath that evening. You know, they, they couldn't work. They couldn't go anywhere. Imagine how long that next 24-hour period drug on. It's probably the longest Sabbath they had ever experienced. Probably dealing with a, a pit in the bottom of their stomach that is just gnawing at them. Have you ever experienced confusion and doubt and disappointment and, and feeling like everything you'd been working for is just falling apart and nothing you can do about it and you're totally out of control. It's all gone wrong. I imagine there was tears shed. I, I, I imagine that there was discussions of how did we miss it? How could this have happened? Everything seemed to be pointed in the right direction. And they go to bed the next night. That pit just eating at them. Gnawing at them. And the next morning they wake up. Some of the women have been anticipating this all along. Some of the women that have been with you for some time now have been waiting for this moment. And they go. And they go to the grave and they're going to, to, to put the spices and, and, and prepare, finish preparing the body of Jesus. See, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had already done it. In, in fact, some of his people had even seen it, and they saw them take that lifeless and limp body from the cross and wrap him in the clothes and, and prepare his body. But his followers were so devoted and loved him so that they wanted to have some part, and so they go to prepare his body. And they come back telling these, telling these stories of angelic visions and, 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 and that the, 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 the tomb is empty. His body's not there. Now wrap your emotions and your doubt and despair and confusion with well, more confusion. What happened? And now that you're there, I want to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles. I want to share a passage with you. You've all heard it before. In fact, you're not going to hear anything new tonight, I don't think. My hope in tonight is that when we walk out of here, we feel the weight 
but we understand that much more why we can celebrate. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. Now that same day, referring to the day that Jesus came out of the grave, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened as they had talked and as they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. Notice these followers, they're still missing the point. Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I want you to put yourself on that street with Cleopas and Jesus. I want you to stand there with them. I want you to imagine this conversation. I want you to imagine what you're talking about. Already you've been discussing the things that have happened, and some stranger comes up and walks up to you and says, What are you talking about? And they're like, what is going on? You know, they didn't have TMZ or paparazzi or things going on in that day. They didn't have somebody to make sure that all the news and all the things going on in people's personal lives was plastered all over television and all over the newspapers. They didn't have that. But what they did have was this, this, this event was so uh, amazing and so powerful and, and it, it, it moved people so much. I mean, imagine this. First, it goes dark. An earthquake happens, the temple, uh, the curtain in the temple is torn in two, and you can even read in the, I think it's the Gospel of Matthew, where he talks about that people who were dead were seen appearing in Jerusalem. This was a huge thing. This was no small event. And so even as people go into their, go, go, go home and go to their homes and, and begin to share with the things that they've seen, the, the word just spreads quickly. And these two men are shocked. How can you not know what's happened? You feel the shock? How can you not know? Where have you been? Are are you just now getting here? Do you not know what's been going on? They took Jesus, this prophet, this man who worked many miracles, this man who who spoke with authority, they took him and they crucified him. But that's not the end of the story. Back in verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You see, their, their, their hope is dashed. They're not hoping in it anymore. They're, they don't know what to do now. We used to hope in this, but now we don't. And what is more, finishing out verse 21, and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. 
Everyone knows when a person goes on to a cross, they don't come off alive. No one comes off the cross alive. Everyone on the cross dies. This is the third day he's been in the ground for three days. We don't know what to do. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. As Jesus deals with this here, it's interesting to me that that he doesn't give them some quaint saying or some little trite description, but he challenges them first with their disbelief. And then he begins to teach them the Scriptures. Listen to it as he says it. He said to them, How foolish you are. Not calling them stupid, not being mean to them, not, not trying to demean them, but uneducated, how, how, how uneducated you are, how foolish you are, and how slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. They're not believing the things that they've heard. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Imagine being on that road and being confronted by this man that you've just met, you don't know anything about him. You don't, you don't know who he is from Adam. He could be Moses for all you know. And here he is telling you you're foolish and slow to believe. Imagine. But then he does something that probably is slightly unexpected, and he begins from the beginning. And he begins to point himself out in all of the Old Testament Scriptures. And he begins to show them, didn't he have to suffer this? Didn't this have to happen? You see, this is it. This is why I want you to feel the weight of it. This is why I think it's so important, separated 2,000 years from it, that we need to stop and remember that at Easter, as we celebrate a resurrection, that resurrection is only possible because he died first. And he died for a very specific purpose. It had to happen. 
The things that they had been hoping for, the things that they had been looking at, they had missed it only because they were thinking that it was just for Jerusalem. He was just going to bring Jerusalem out of captivity. He was going to restore Israel to its proper place. But they missed it. Jesus wasn't just for Israel. He came out of Israel to save the whole world. He was for everyone. And as I said, it had to happen so that all of those sins in the past and all of those sins at that time and all of the sins of today could be forgiven. But even they admitted, and and think about this, this is seven miles. They've got a seven-mile journey to go on. It takes probably about two hours, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, depending on how fast you walk or where along the road Jesus met them. But they've got quite a bit of time to sit and listen to Jesus teach. And they even say it after they recognize him, didn't our hearts burn as he spoke to us? How often... How often we have the Scriptures so readily available. We have the Holy Spirit alive in us. How often do we seek to meet Him there? Do we go someplace that that He can teach us and our hearts can burn with excitement and joy? He's paid the price It had to happen, and it was done. And he said, it is finished. The work of the atonement was completed. But the work of salvation is still going on. The work of redemption and sanctification is still happening. And it happens in you and I as believers every day. How often do we find a place, do we seek a place in which we can see it happening and being worked in us? But then, as they sat in that house and they recognized him, they were changed. I want you to think about three things out of this passage. Death, devastation, and despair. I want you to imagine this road now not being a road that you're walking on to Emmaus, of being the path of your life. Death, devastation, despair, confusion, emptiness, selfishness, all of these things, all of these things are a result of sin. And I want you to, I want you to see that that's what these two men were dealing with as they walked this path. And, and, and so often in our lives, this is what we deal with. It's all a result of sin. They're confused. They don't know what's happened. They don't know what has happened to what they hoped in. They don't know what has happened in their life. They don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. They don't know what they're going to do. They don't know how to respond. And they're empty. Have you been there? Maybe you're there now. We all have a path to walk. Even in the name of our church, 
It implies a journey. Life is a journey in a sense. You see, and as we walk that path, as we walk the path that lays out ahead of us, death, devastation, despair, confusion, it all comes as a result of sin. But along the path, you've been given a chance. Because the light did come into the world. Jesus did come into the world. He came into the midst of it and He shines so brightly, but men love the darkness and they turn from Him. But you see, Jesus comes in and gives you this opportunity to respond. Are you listening to Him teach you? Are you going on this journey? As, as, he, as he moves on, as He continues to walk on, do you, do you call out, stay with me? Stay with me. Come in and eat with me. I want to spend time with you. I want to know you. I, I want to hear you. Or do you let him keep going? I don't know where each of you are at in your journey. But I want you to see that that path starts one way. But when Jesus comes in, He gives you the opportunity to overcome just as He overcame. You see, Jesus, really the reason we celebrate Easter is because He overcame. If Jesus had remained in the grave, if He was still dead in the grave, I can tell you this with assurance. You would not celebrate this holiday in reference to Him. We might still hide eggs, And we might still uh, think about Easter bunnies. But if it weren't for the resurrection, we wouldn't celebrate Easter as a Christian community. You see, because it's the resurrection that proved the death and proved all of his teachings and demonstrated to everyone that all that he said was true. See, Jesus Christ overcame sin, and death. And He gives us all that same opportunity. And as He comes into a life, He doesn't leave it the same. Did you see what happened to the two men when they realized that Jesus was Jesus? Imagine it again. It's evening. It's nighttime. It's a seven-mile walk. But what did they do? They jumped up Immediately. And they went back to tell the others. You see, when Jesus comes in and makes that change, it always results in a changed life. And it's that same, it's that same emotion and that same excitement and that same desire that I want you to see and understand tonight. Jesus paid a terrible price, but He overcame sin, death, devastation, and destruction, and He brought with it new life. And He is risen. He's alive. And because He's alive, you and I have the hope of eternal life. And that even in this moment, that life doesn't begin when we die. That life begins now. And that life is not the same old life that's enslaved to sin. 
but a life that's free. A life that has been freed. A life filled with joy, hope, peace, fulfillment. All of these things coming because God is living in us. Because He's alive. Jesus Christ overcame it. And when He overcomes, it always brings new life. How do I know? I know because I was restless. How do I know? Because I was wild. Because I was addicted. I was lost. Because I was empty. I know because I was living behind a mask. How do I know Jesus is alive? Because he lives in me. Jesus did what no one else could do for me. He took the punishment for my failures, my wrong decisions, my selfishness, my pride, and my sin. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was tortured, crucified, and buried for me. But on the third day, he did exactly what he said he would do. Jesus rose up and walked right out of the tomb. summer of 1985. July of 2007. February 2005. June 2003. And in August 1995. He walked into my life. And I've never been the same since. Now I am truly living. Now I am sober. I am at peace. I am fulfilled. Now I am free. Now I'm found. My God, my Savior, my best friend, my Lord, my Jesus, is alive. The tomb may be empty, but my heart is full. As we move into this, I had some different things planned. But as I sit and think about it, and I think about the weight that I've put on you, I think that there needs to be a time that we can deal with it. And I want you to pray. And I want you to deal with those things. And I want you to put them before God. And, and I just want you to leave them there. Because here's the promise. He's going to take care of them there. I didn't promise it. They, he, he promises it. But then I want you to walk away from that with this sense of newness. This sense of understanding that you are truly alive and He is making you new as you believe in Him and as you trust in Him. That video, what, we, we see people lost and, 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 and empty and addicted and we see them fulfilled and at peace. What are you? And I want you to take that and I want you to celebrate it. And I want you to cry out to God in praise and adoration because He is what He's doing in your life. And I want you to take that from here and I want you to take it out there because each and every person in this room knows people 
First, you need to be reminded that this is true. And that their life every day should be a celebration of Easter. We shouldn't set this aside one day a year. Ultimately, if it wasn't for this holiday, no holiday would mean anything. They would be empty. But you also know people who may have heard versions of it before, but never heard it the way that Jesus told it. And I want you to go out celebrating and letting people see this alive and at work in your life.